Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. See all of you. It uh, looks like some of the first service warned the second service, and we have a few empty seats in here. <laughs> so, in 1859, a man named Charles Blondin stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls. That's 1,100 feet of uh, tightrope, and uh, announced to the world that he was going to be the first person to ever walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he um, well, had a bit of an evangelist in him or something because before he stepped out on the tightrope, he yelled to the crowd that had gathered to watch this. It had been publicized for a while, probably a thousand people there. He said, I just need to know if you believe. I need to know if you trust that I can actually pull this off before I uh, attempt this. I need to know if you believe. And the crowd went crazy. We, we've heard about you. We, we believe. We believe. He wasn't convinced. And so he said, all right, I, I, I hear you, but if you believe, who is willing to come up here and get on my shoulders to get out on this tightrope? It was a test of faith, and the uh, area where the crowd was got very quiet, kind of like you just did. <laughs> it, was very, it was very quiet. And just to show that he could actually pull this off, he pulled his manager up on the podium and said, I, there's one man here that believes. And so he put his manager up on his shoulders and proceeded out on the tightrope with him there. But he went out on the tightrope with his manager with some instructions for the manager. He said, you have one simple job here, and that's not to do anything. I need you to rest and relax and let me do all the work to make sure that you don't go in the water and possibly die. That is going to make all kinds of sense to you as we roll through the sermon today. As Christ gives us the invitation in this room today to tackle the rest of our life, which will be full of risk and difficulty and trials and tribulations on his shoulders, asking us not to do anything except trust him that he, we will get to the other side. As we've... Uh, been processing through Hebrews. We're preaching Hebrews at City on a Hill at the same time, and so we're just a little bit ahead of you, and so they've been stealing all of our sermons. So if they've been any good, you, you know that. Uh, but you, the whole theme has been Jesus high up, right? That Christ, the greater, Jesus, the greater, the Holy One, the Messianic King, the whole story of God is about him. He's the hero, the central figure. And if we trust him, get on his shoulders, life is manageable. And it's manageable, manageable for the second half of the theme is because Jesus came down low. He comes down low. He is with us. He indwells us. He came down. He's with us. He says, get on my shoulders. We are in this together. I will take care of you. I'm in you. I'm with you. But don't try to get over there in any aspect without me. Don't try to get to the other side. 
So here's our big idea for the day. When we experience and trust the Jesus that is both high up, the incredible messianic Christ, the Holy One, the great high priest, all the things you've studied in Hebrews so far, when we trust and trust him deeply, the one that is high up and down low and not just taste his gospel, we're going to see the difference between tasting and experiencing and trusting today. We will mature past milk to solid food and we'll be able to handle anything that life throws at us, any difficulties of life. And we're going to do this through my three trees drawing that we do in foundations class here. We're going to be doing foundations again in the fall here and you're welcome to come experience the full teaching around this drawing. I'm going to give you just the basis of it. And it is simply this, that the whole story of God from creation to Christ coming back in restoration is all about Jesus. The whole purpose of the Bible is to introduce you to this incredible Jesus who comes down in this waterfall of grace to a human being whose job, just like the manager on the tight, on the shoulders of uh, Bodine in the, in the, uh, on the tightrope, is just simply to rest and trust in that magnificent Savior. And what that does is create a root system that comes up into this tree, like a Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17 tree, and produces fruit. Good fruit there, good God-produced fruit. You know some of those fruits that it's a joy that cannot be touched. It's a peace that cannot be touched. It's a love that makes no sense to the unlovable. It's gentleness when somebody was rough before, a kindness. You know the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of that, out of the gospel, out of the grace, out of being Spirit-filled and walking in the Spirit. It comes from a resting and a trusting just like the manager on the tightrope. As opposed to that are two trees that end up in death. The irreligious tree, which was preached for 150 years, don't do drugs, don't you know, hang out with people who do drugs, don't have sex, blah, blah, blah. And then the religious tree, which is the one we're going to focus on today because it is self-produced righteousness. It is producing our own fruit so that God would love us or for whatever other reason. And it's uh, trying to be good and self-producing, self-glorifying. And what it does is it creates some fruit that really is just kind of like it's drawn on a piece of paper. And then it's stapled on the tree. And the problem with that fruit is when a good stiff wind of trials and tribulations come along, it blows right off the tree. And what it does is it exposes a false fruit behind it that's actually wicked, just like the irreligious tree, because it's fed by the same root system as that. And we'll see how that becomes prominent for us today because this letter is being written to folks historically from the middle tree. It's the book of Hebrews, followers of the law. And their tendency was, instead of to trust God, was to try to self-produce fruit. And it's written specifically to Jews who maybe or maybe not had become Christians. And Jesus says later in this passage, he says, you have either tasted something that was good and walked away from it, or you are actually experiencing deep faith that I have put in you. And the writer of Hebrews is warning that if these supposed messianic Jews move back into the stale middle tree, move back into a religious tree, that they had never actually experienced the grace of God in the gospel tree at all. And that's actually going to be good news because it's going to say, that because they had never actually experienced faith, when they walk away, there's still a chance they could experience faith. But there's lots of effort here. They were about this. No true fruit. 
washing for purification instead of receiving the purification of Christ. Working, law-based. Anybody ever go to a church like this? They were actually teaching you, you you can self-produce goodness. You need to be good so that God will love you. That was a false gospel. And it's only stapled on goodness that will blow away. So we're going to see ones leaving the faith. That's why this letter's written. And just understand this. Those that were leaving were never in the first tree, never in the grace-filled tree. But for us, for believers, what, what does this mean? Well, it follows the section on let's move from milk, from infant milk to meat. Let's grow up. We simply should not look tomorrow like we look today in our abilities to have the Spirit mature us into transformation rather than behavior modification. And looking like Jesus becomes natural instead of drawing pictures and stapling them. Okay? Here's an example for you. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law just walked in. They, they've, her three, their three-year-old daughter has invaded uh, kids today. And she gets, a, uh, she gets a marshmallow for good potty training habits. So here's what will happen because of the behavior modification that's happening with her, which is good behavior modification, by the way. She's, she'll come in and tell me, she'll say, hey, Guck. Now, she gave me the name Guck when she was nine months old. I'm not exactly sure where that came from. I think probably... Uh, one of these two implanted something in her about that. And she will come in and say, hey, Guck, I peed and I like pink marshmallows. So she's already telling me that because she has done something, that she, there is something good should happen for her. What that does is make her a good Hindu, okay? Or a good Muslim. Let's be honest about that. But she says, I like, I like pink. And so here's the message of the day. Hopefully there's a day for her when she desires to go pee in the potty because that's just the thing that you do out of natural transformation. She doesn't need marshmallows anymore. Yes, it's a pretty embarrassing when you're 35 years old and you go pee in the potty and you come and say, hey, uh, she'll probably still be calling me Guck at 35 and uh, a pink marshmallow would be fantastic. That's what some people, it feels like, do around the church, right? <laughs> I still need a marshmallow for doing something good. In other words, God, you owe me something because I did something good. That's behavior modification, and it does simply make them a good Hindu, by the way. But every trusting encounter with the presence of our beautiful high priest, Jesus, should make us look more like him. Every encounter with him. Today, we're encountering him. The worship set has been fantastic. You're encountering the living Christ. His spirit is in this room. We should leave here a little different than we started, but that's only true if we join him on the tightrope. We can't yell down from the crowd and say, yeah, I believe. And he challenges us and says, yeah, what? do you believe? Come and join me in the risk. Come and join me in all that I've got going on. Come and join me not to earn your salvation, not so that I will love you, but because I have loved you. Come and join me. So how do we grow up spiritually and not need a marshmallow? <laughs> Here's what we do. We submit to the high up lordship of Jesus and to the come down low, the one who invades and indwells and takes care of us for all that we need. Verse 1 said this, to make sure that we grow up. It says, leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity. Get off from last week, get off of milk and move to meat. 
leave the elementary doctrine and go, and go on to maturity. So let me approach it this way. The most elementary doctrines that are, are that Jesus is God, the, the word Jesus, the great high priest, the Messiah, that's, that's all the centerpiece of an eternal salvation, yes? Yes? All of Hebrews, all of Hebrews, Jesus is the greater. Jesus is the greater. You don't need to return to the law. You don't need to return to purification. You don't need to return to what makes you comfortable. Jesus is enough. He's the greater. But here's, here's what we need. A mature faith in these works not only saves us for eternity, but for the here and now, for tomorrow, for Tuesday, for Wednesday, for all that we will encounter. Matter of fact, let me put it up this way. A definition of maturity is this. In addition to viewing the gospel as just a way to avoid hell, not he, we start resting and trusting in the finished work of Jesus in every aspect of life. And as a matter of fact, you are in a church that says we do that in community, we do that together, we do that on mission, we do that with the same kind of challenges that a tightrope across uh, Niagara Falls is. We do it together. And so our Christ-likeness should be increasing. Ephesians 4 is like moving from, if you read it, go, like, go read Ephesians 4 this afternoon, it's like moving from milk to meat because tomorrow we should look more like Jesus than we do today, and it even supplies how we do that. We do that by resting, trusting. We don't do that very well as Americans, do we? I got to get to the other side. I'm going to get there, and I can get, I can get there instead of resting and trusting in the one who's already gotten there. That's that's Jesus. So we submit all of life to his lordship. If you could put the trees back up. The entire story of God, creation through restoration, becomes our story. It becomes our story. And then his come downness up into the tree produces fruit. It provides a root system that Christ in us, filled with the Spirit and dwelt by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, begins to produce fruit. And we rest in his presence and he pours his goodness into us. And what happens out of that? It develops this untouchable love. It develops this untouchable joy. It develops this untouchable peace. It it develops this untouchable patience, and those things become the norm. Instead of uh, us thinking we need a marshmallow for being those things, they just happen. Now, all of these Jewish folks who were becoming believers, this letter is to the Hebrews, Hebrews who are considering belief or have become believers, they were given the right trainings. That's what's here in this passage. They were given what we would call the right catechism. If you grew up in a a faith that had something called a catechism, they were given the right stuff to grow up. But as we'll see, something was off. So let's see if we can figure it out. Let's read the passage again. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So what's going on there? These converts were getting a foundations class. They were given a correct catechism, a correct training. Those are the correct elementary doctrines. Look at the list. Faith in Christ. 
Repent from dead works. In their catechisms, they were actually given the idea, you have to repent from dead works. Dead works are those that you're producing to try to make yourself look good instead of Christ producing so that he gets the credit and he gets the glory. And it was in the training that we have to leave those works. That's middle tree. That's death of baptism. They were given a catechism. What does baptism mean? It means, it means when we met Jesus, when the waterfall became real for me, when it, when it came and drowned me in his love and his grace, I died to my old way and I was raised again to a, a new life. It's the death of the cross and the resurrect power of the resurrection into new life. A filling of the spirit. God doesn't leave us alone. When that happens, I actually become filled with the spirit. That's all in this beautiful catechism given here. You've been given, what he's telling him, you've been given all the right stuff. There was even instructions about Christ's reign now. You know, we're still living in this world that has all, anybody notice there's a little brokenness around us? A little bit of craziness, people shooting each other everywhere. It's gone completely, uh, it's always been bonkers <laughs> since we sinned, right? And he says, Christ's reign now is superior to all of those things. He is the greater, his reign now, and then his eventual return when there'll be no more tears and no more crying, no more sadness. Anybody looking forward to that day? Yeah, making sure you're awake. But the writer's exhortation here, there's an exhortation. Please do not go back to the middle tree. You understand that the way you were raised is going to be your tendency to run back to. These were good Jewish kids who had been introduced to Jesus, and their tendency is going to be to want to run back to the middle tree. Please repent from wanting the dead works of the old covenant, he says, and instead move to an actual trusting of Christ Jesus. And for those Jews, dead works with things like this, just... One example, they were like washing for purification instead of seeing oneself already clean. You remember Simon Peter at the, at the Last Supper? He, he gets his feet washed and he says, well, oh, well, Lord, if, if this is required of me that you would wash my feet, then wash all of me. And what was going on there? He all of a sudden had this realization, I'm a sinner and I'm dirty. I, I, you know, I, I'm a, he didn't know it, but he's about to deny him. That's what's in his heart at the time. And he just says, well, wash all of me then. What he's saying is make me pure. Make me pure. And so the Jews had this tendency to want to have purification washings. And Jesus comes along and says, you don't need that. I'm telling you right now, if you're out there trying to clean yourself up with some kind of purification, you don't need that. Is that good news to you? Yeah, you don't need that. You're already clean. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Pouring out on the ground in his death, he says, this is for the forgiveness of sin. Not just the sin that you've, you've committed and confessed, but for the sins you'll commit in the future. But sometimes we try dead works. It's our tendency. Okay, let's, let me give an example. Okay, ladies, if you're here with a significant other, let's say your man, you can start poking him a little bit in the ribs right now. Your man brings you some flowers at the end of the day. Can you tell, first of all, some of you are thinking right now, he never brings me flowers. <laughs> that needs some repentance. But can you tell the difference in the flowers being this message? I, I, I've been a butthead, and, I, and I'm trying to work my way back into your graces, as opposed to what could come, which would be, I am stirred by you, stirred by your beauty. Girls, you know the difference in those two? 
Come on, I need some response. I know you do. It's all this intuition thing. You know, you know, right? Here's the deal. The first one is the middle tree. That's behavior modification. Men are taught, you know, if you're in trouble, take some flowers. That's behavior modification. That's not, uh, that's not transformation. In other words, I'm recognizing I've been a derelict here trying to earn your love and probably manipulate sex as opposed to I am stirred by your affection. I'm stirred by your love for me. I'm stirred by your love for Jesus. You know, you have to deal with these little demon kids. I'm stirred by that. And so I want to bless you. I want to bless you. See, that's the difference between working for our salvation, dead works, uh, like the first set of flowers from a bad heart, or working from our salvation, responses of love, because we have first been loved. Manipulation flowers are like the dreaded middle tree, the one where we're trying to pretend and perform. Raise your hands in the room if you did gospel-centered life in the last couple of months. Anybody? Missional community, if you're in missional community, you should have been doing gospel-centered life. In there, it's chapter 2 says that we have a tendency to pre- pretend and perform to shrink the cross, right? Anybody remember that lesson? Pretend and perform. That's middle tree. Pretend, go back and read that lesson. It's, it's pretending and performing. It's the middle tree. We're trying to establish our own goodness, trying to earn God's affection because we don't really trust that he loves us in the midst of us being like goofy sometimes. See, that's lack of faith. We don't trust the come down Jesus actually produces fruit. So we try and produce our own. So what we do is we start making suggestions on the tightrope. You know, Jesus, if you take that right foot and move it a little quicker, get the left foot a little better balanced, we start making suggestions to Jesus about how this thing, this trip across this very difficult life ought to go. And so we need a heart check. You ready for a heart check? One person's ready for a heart check. This is fantastic. Why do we engage good things? Are we, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, are we earning favor, being a good uh, Hindu or a good Muslim, or are we a Christian? Or it's a response to grace, a response to what Christ is doing. All right, here we go. I read my Bible. Great thing to do. The Word of God exposes us to the whole story, exposes us to Jesus. But it can be done to earn favor instead of a response to grace. Everybody tracking with that? So in your mind right now, the next time you pick up the Bible, I want you to just say, all right, God, give me, a, give me the heart check. I have no idea what's going on here, but, but God does. Give me a heart check. Is this, is this, am I loving you by, by checking this out because you have first loved me? Or do I not quite trust that you love me, and so I'm trying to impress you by reading your Bible? It's a good heart check. How about this one? A little social justice. I serve the homeless. Earning or a response to grace? We were homeless, sojourners, cast away, right? And we were brought into a family, adopted. Do you trust that? And so we do that for others? in any possible way we can out of a response to grace or because we're trying to earn favor, we're trying to get something good, trying to get self-acknowledgement. And here's one specifically for heights, okay? Uh, I have foster kids. Earning or response. 
All of those things are great things. Those are good things, and they can roll out of a healthy first tree, the grace-filled tree. They can be rolling out of that fruit situation. And when they do, you know what we get? We get the power of the resurrection. We get the power that raised Jesus from the dead coming alongside those things. And they become awesome, but they can become very burdensome if we're doing it out of trying to earn favor. They will absolutely exhaust us because we're doing it under our own power, not with the power of the resurrection. You see, often around churches, we train and give discipleship tools to folks who have just tasted but not experienced Christ. And that's not an evil act. It's just a reality. And so what folks will do is they'll pretend and perform without the filling of the Spirit in the middle tree with good but dead works. But those works are marshmallows for toilet pee or butthead flowers, right? You know, created with a false fruit of love that's just printed on a piece of paper, self-generated and self-serving goodness and not a flow of, of God's love. So we can serve, we can lay on hands, we can attend Easter services here at Heights, which are awesome, and yell hallelujah when Corey or David stirs us with victory over sin and death preaching, declare that we will never see hell, and unless it is the love of God shown by the precious blood of Jesus pouring down and flowing through us, you know what, it won't matter. It will be a fleeting thing. Anybody ever feel like your faith is fleeting? It may be because... It may be because we are declaring those things in the middle tree. I'm not saying you're not saved. There is no questioning of your salvation in this room today because sometimes in our free will we're saved, but we step out of the flow of the waterfall of grace and we just function in the middle or the irreligious tree. It's like, it's like sometimes when we get really nervous, we'll just, man, like, like I need to, yeah, this half a bottle of vodka just sounds good. And we'll take a trip to the irreligious tree. We're not unsaved. We just take a trip to the irreligious tree. And that just needs repentance. It's already forgiven. It just needs repentance. But when we're blown away, when those staple fruit are blown off by the first crisis, we wonder, where did the good feels go? How come I become disinterested? Anybody tense right now? I want you to, I want you to, Sense Christ's presence to let you relax for the rest of the sermon. I want you to sense his presence to relax for the rest of the sermon. I'm just asking you to set yourself in the hands of a good sovereign God. Everybody tracking with that? I'm just asking you to set yourself in the hands of a good sovereign God. Let's talk about his sovereignty. Verse 3. And this, will, and this we will do if God permits. The author gives us a quick reminder here of the lordship, the sovereignty of God, <laughs> because his grace and pursuit of you makes all good possible. Sovereignty is brought up here, and, and what we are about to read is not possible to understand correctly without good theology. We're about to read the most difficult verses maybe in the entire Bible. They, they can be hard. They can be mistaught. Maybe the most mistaught passage in all of, all of Scripture so we have to uh, do it with a foundation of some good, good theology to it. So let's get this on the table as, as we get started here. Jeff started us with a, in our call to worship with, in our confession with a look at Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, we find out that God's sovereignty settles a lot of what we're talking about here. 
It's by grace you've been saved. It's a gift, right? And so we have to focus there. In the flow, God initiates. God sets the flow. God pours his grace upon us. We were, um, we, when we were running around in our pre-Jesus lives of trying to find meaning by either smoking up half of Peru or in the irreligious tree or maybe trying to impress some God who doesn't exist in the religious one, you know, maybe we thought we should stop clubbing and stop, and, and stop going home with people who we, who we forgot their names. And hopefully God poured his grace into our unregenerate hearts and won us over with his love. Anybody in here had God's grace pour on you? You were taken out. I want you to raise your hands. You were taken out of Satan's hands and put into God's hands by his irresistible grace. Anybody? 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 Thank you. That was an act of his mercy and his grace, and he just simply poured goodness and light into death and darkness and took you out, resurrected you. That's, he initiates, he does it. It's his sovereign grace and will. You were dead in sin, a child of Satan, and he brought you to life. Why is that important? Well, as we encounter this, God is not some cosmic joker. He's not a trickster. He's not a fraud. If he pulled you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, he will keep you. He will keep you. He will keep you. The Bible is clear. Once the Father has given you to Jesus, he does not move you out of the family. From John chapter 10, John chapter 10 talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Secure. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you know that that regeneration has come and you've been filled with his spirit. This is for you. This is good. This sets the tone for what we're about to read. That's a foundation that cannot be touched But let's see how that works in the difference between tasting the goodness of God and deeply experiencing and trusting the regeneration. You ready for the hard verses? Verse 4. Listen for the tasting. Okay? For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift. These are folks who who never had the faith but have left what would look like faith. Are I tracking with this? Okay. They have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, look like Christians, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. They're falling away from a faith that doesn't exist. It just appears to exist. Everybody tracking with me? Because I want to be really clear here because this has been mistaught in many places. To restore them again to repentance since it is impossible Uh, I'm sorry, taste the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. My goodness. I don't think the, I think the last thing we want to do is take the Lord of all, the king of the universe, the creator of all who is, the one who sustains all life and hold him up to contempt and try to put him on a cross again today. Are you with me? So here's what we know. Millions of people in our Western culture have tasted the word, but maybe relatively few have experienced and actually trusted it. And so what this is saying is 
God's sovereignty can set you to relax about this because if he's got you, he's got you. And so, and so if you have any appearance of your life, if you have anybody in the room, I have many people in my life that showed every sign of being a Christian and now have completely deconstructed. Anybody else have any, anybody in your life like that? Here's what we know about that is it's good news in that if they've only left a false gospel, they've never actually left the true faith. And so there's a chance. There's hope. And so we keep pouring the love of Jesus into that situation. Sometimes people read this and it just appears to be so hopeless. It's not hopeless because they haven't left the true faith. They've left a false faith. And so we just continue to pray for their initial salvation. But many have yelled, we believe, you know, like the crowd there at the tightrope, right? But few have jumped on Jesus' shoulders on the tightrope. Maybe few completely filled with the word of Jesus, the spirit of the living God. Maybe we taste the gospel, but then we trust ourselves and have to crucify him all over again. You can only deconstruct in a salvation you, you never had. So there's always hope. I remember uh, being around Bible studies before my regeneration. Here's a good example. I was, I was running Bible studies before my regeneration. Maybe some of you have had this, this experience. I was sharing academic thoughts. I was sharing them like I was a college professor, which I've also done. I was sharing godly concepts but my heart was steeped in downright evil. There's a confession for you. I can say that to you now because my eyes have been completely open since my true regeneration, since the waterfall is pouring in and saying, let me show you what your life actually was. And so I had to get saved every week. Anybody been in that deal? I had a fear of going to hell, and so I had to get saved every week never understanding that I had never truly been regenerate. I wasn't in the waterfall yet. And so if the recipients of this letter, who the author of Hebrews is writing to, left the church and returned to following all the Old Testament laws and purifications and practices, they were just like some of the Jews who voted to go back, of e back to Egypt when the spies came back. Everybody remember that passage? It was taught in the book, book of Hebrews here. They heard a report of how difficult it was to go in and take the promised land. And because they had never experienced the first tree, they went, slavery sounds better than that. What happened to them? They had to die in the desert. Some of them probably went to heaven when they died in the desert, but some of them did not because they had never tasted the first tree. They'd simply, or they'd never experienced and trusted the first tree. They, they'd simply tasted the effects of the Spirit, not trusted. Let me just say this. This, this is possibly most Western culture church attenders. I'm not declaring that like prophetically to be so. I'm just saying observation of doing this for about 30 years now maybe says that. This passage is simply not so difficult if you can work out in your mind and soul if the Spirit awakens you to the fact that there's a difference in tasting, which is hanging around a church, or fully experiencing and trusting Christ. I would ask you to ask the Spirit to help you with that. 
But let me close down by, with, a, with a parable from our Messiah, Jesus, as he came down close. When he came down close, when he came down in the incarnation, he gave us some pictures that we could understand. And in, in Mark 4 and Luke 8, I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to quickly give you a description of it. He said, the word of God was like seed from a sower, and the sower was the Holy Spirit, still is, casting out Jesus, casting out the word, casting out the whole story being about Jesus, casting out the greatness of Jesus, seed coming out. There's four soils that describe the conditions of every human being's heart. So the prayer here is simple. I want this whole room to leave here today in the fourth soil. Everybody with me? Because the first one is, it's hard as concrete, so the seed comes out and it bounces off. We don't want anybody leaving here today in that deal. Terrible. That Satan snatch, the birds that are Satan snatch it up and steal the seed away. The second two, the next two are a little scary. Because there's a soil that has the tendency for weeds to grow over. The cares and concerns of this world. And so this little fledgling plant starts... And the cares and concerns of this world grow over the top of that plant. And it snuffs it out. And at the end of that parable, that plant is dead. I think that is who this is being written to. Be careful that you're not excited. I believe. And then Jesus says, come on, get up on my shoulders. We're going across the tightrope. And you go, yeah, not today. That's too scary. Because the cares and concerns of this world are much more important. Money and materialism and my job and the raising of my children and all of these things. And them being sports heroes and master maestro musicians, etc. It's all more important so it grows over and snuffs out that plant. And then there's, a, then there's a plant that, like right now, some of our yards look like. My yard is all built on a about that much soil on top of rock. And so when it gets dry like this, you can watch the grass die. So because there's no depth of soil, there's no depth of the gospel, there's, not, there's only a tasting and not an experiencing and a trusting. When it gets hot, when things get hard, when the trials and tribulations of this life comes, that plant dies. There's no fruitful plant. There's no fruitful Plant. Those are two bad trees. And then we get the fourth soil where Christ comes and he just besides supplying the seed and supplying this waterfall, this living water of grace, he creates this magnificent soil, this fertile soil. And it begins to saturate us. And he does all the work and, 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 and we get a response of faith from the, from the hearer. This fruit this soil produces much fruit in people's life. People will feel loved when they're with people who are in this soil. Do people feel loved when they're around you? If so, it's because Jesus is loving them through you. Because there's fertile soil for that fruit to be produced and show up. And by the way, I'm here in all confidence preaching this sermon today because I don't know of a church that does any better job at loving people than you do. So just let me speak that over the top of you today that you may be thinking, I'm not sure how I do with all that. And I'm telling you right now that there's tons of fruit of evidence that God is rolling this fruit 30 times, 60 times, 100 times through you because you love and serve each other in your city really well. But this parable is frightening, right? There's two, there's two soils there that look like there's something good happening 
but it's not. It's the middle tree there, tasting but not experiencing and actually trusting Christ. And so they didn't actually get in the waterfall. They were still over on this side. And so it explains, but it also provides hope because they haven't left the first tree. They never got there. And so if they never got there, God can't say, well, you can never feel repentance if you leave the first tree because you know what? You can't leave the first tree. But if you're actually in the other two trees, we keep preaching the gospel. We keep praying that the Spirit will, will just drown that somebody experiencing that tree or drown somebody who's experiencing the, the second or the third soil in his grace and his mercy and they will come to a salvation faith. So let's not sit here and feel bad. This was not a sermon created to make you feel bad. This is not a passage of scripture to make you feel bad. This is an encouragement. This is an exhortation to the waterfall, to the tightrope. So I want to extend this invitation to you. We're about to move into communion. If you're seat right, and you're, you're in your seat right now, and, and you're looking up here and you go, which tree am I in? I think maybe... Maybe I'm, I'm in the irreligious tree. I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I've ever received the grace of God because I've just been trusting the things of this world for, for my goodness, my salvation. Maybe today's the day that you can take your first communion as a believer because the Spirit has said, uh, I've brought the waterfall over the top of you. I'm moving you from, uh, from darkness into light. Or, or maybe today you, you look up there and you go, Oh my goodness, I've been existing in the middle tree. I've been trying to establish my own righteousness for a long time. I've been being religious, but I haven't been uh, allowing Christ to saturate me in his goodness. Same thing. Come, come today. Take your first communion as a, as a saturated true believer in Jesus because he has, he has made himself completely aware to you today. And it's time to move out of tasting, hanging around the church, and trusting the great and glorious Christ. Because Jesus is inviting you to his table. This is why he died. He died so that we could have access to true fruit. He died so we could have access to revealing his glory by providing true fruit. He's inviting you to the tightrope. And so I would ask you the same question that Charles Blondine asked his crowd. Do you believe? And if you believe, you're welcome to communion if you're willing to join Jesus on the tightrope. He's asking for you to have faith. He's asking you to experience and experience that faith, to trust him. Not just say, I agree with the facts that I believe that Jesus came and that he died and that he was killed and he rose again. I go to Easter, I agree with those facts, but that I trust him. I trust him with all that I am. And by the way, if you're in the first tree sensing grapefruit, you should come up here in celebratory mode, just giving him great praise for bringing you there. Because it's okay to confess that today too. Just give him great praise. So I invite you to his table, all those who believe, all who are trusting our great Savior, our great, our great high praise, Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for this difficult passage. Thank you for access to being able to preach it. 
this is a quiet heights crowd today because this is a sobering passage, but I pray that in their soul right now that your spirit is, ex- is exciting them, that saying, okay, this is good that this is a reveal. This is good. Uh, repentance is sweet or thank you, God, for getting me into, into first tree deal where, where you're, you're flowing through the system and producing fruit. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're going to do in this room, God, that, that the spirit is moving, that as people come up and say, give me some bread because I want to remember the body of Christ being broken for me, this great goodness of Jesus that he's imparting righteousness to, to me through this broken body. And as they come up and they taste this juice, that they would understand that that represents his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins, that they are now completely clean. They don't have to go do any kind of self-purification anymore. There's no rites of passage anymore. There's only trusting and believing what Christ has already done. So we thank you, God, for what you're doing. I invite you to his table. Come and experience Christ. Amen. Amen.